0: welcome to the debate at newsweek i'm andrew tallman and today we're going to be talking about what everybody's talking about the pending potential will it or won't it indictment of former president donald trump Bank protection and whether the federal government should be stepping in for every investor at every level or whether limits make sense. And San Francisco's fairly advanced proposal to engage in a massive reparations plan for its black citizens. Joining me today, we've got Amani Wells and Yoha, a political organizer and the director of operations at Soul Strategies. Amani, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Of course. And Jeff Charles, host of a Fresh Perspective podcast and contributor for Red State and Liberty Nation. And sometimes he tweets things that get people talking. Jeff, welcome back.
1: <laughs> yeah, Thanks for having me back.
0: Absolutely. Fun. Well, let's start with this. OK, the uh, pending Trump indictment ish. If it happens, of course, the former president was the one and only source of all caps promises that he was going to get indicted yesterday that didn't happen we do have lots of great not real pictures of him getting indicted or in the streets of new york or whatever the various ones are but let's just start with the basics uh jeff do you think he's actually going to get indicted over this very old now possibly resuscitated case about the alleged hush money to stormy daniels over an alleged affair and on and on and on what do you think's actually going to happen here
1: you know, I think there's a very good chance that he might get indicted. I mean, I think the, the signs are pointing in that direction. So unless something uh, radical happens, um, I do believe that district attorney Alvin Bragg is going to go through with it. I know they had to, the grand jury had to to hear from one more witness before that. But I mean, based on what I'm seeing, it's supposed to, that indictment is supposed to come down today, and then they're supposed to negotiate Trump's uh, surrender or what have you. So I, I, do, I do lean towards thinking it's going to happen but i mean when it involves american politics and more importantly when it involves donald trump anything can happen
0: amani what's your thought just as a sort of baseline fact since nothing's actually happened yet do you think it's going to happen
2: Trump is the man of steel is what I like to call him. So he can do quite literally anything. Like he said, he could shoot somebody in the middle of the streets of New York and nobody's going to do a thing about it. So um, I'm in the camp of we shall see. My highest hopes are that he is arrested, indicted and serves federal time. Will that actually happen? Who knows? Um, But I'm very interested to see how it all plays out.
0: I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, how we got here. Like, it's a weird place for us to be that the whole country is on edge thinking about the possibility of this indictment. When, as I mentioned in kind of the intro, the only real source we have on this is former President Trump, you know, and nobody is apparently told him and the office apparently isn't even sure whether the indictment is happening Is this just amazing PR by him to get him to be the center of attention for several days now, Jeff?
1: Yes, I mean, and Trump knows how to play that public relations game. He's been doing it since since forever. So it's almost I mean, I don't know how he reacted when he first got the news that an indictment could be coming. But I could see the marketer in him having a very big ear to ear grin because he knows that he can spin this and use this in a way that um, that makes him appeal more to the base. I mean, we we have seen that the government has come after him before. And in large part, it's it's been unfair and it has seemed like there were elements within the Justice Department that were out to get him. And they gave him that ammo, and he is going to use it to his fullest, to the fullest extent of his persuasive ability, which is considerable. Whether you love him or hate him, you have to admit that Trump knows how to persuade. He knows how to work the media. He knows how to work the public. He is going to use this to his advantage. And I think that the nature of this case against him. When I first heard that he was going to get indicted, I thought it was for some of the business dealings and stuff like that. When I heard it was about the Stormy Daniels thing, I was like, What are these people thinking? I think Chris Rock had it right. These people are they they they, Alvin Bragg might be wearing a MAGA hat behind the scenes, because I think if if this goes away, I think it does. If they indict him, it's only going to work in his favor.
0: Yeah. And I guess, you know, when he first took over the office, declining to prosecute this case led to people resigning from the office. But he said, you know, the case looked too weak back then. Obviously, one naturally asked the question, well, what's changed? But Amani, do you. How much of what we're going through today in the news cycle the last few days is just Trump being the showman, Trump being the ringleader, Trump being the, you know, the fantastically effective carnival barker and getting unearned media credit with this story?
2: a good chunk of it. I feel like this is going to help him only because there's been so many times where he's supposed to be arrested and charged and so many things have been thrown at him and it hasn't stuck. And I don't even think it's because it couldn't stick, but it's because people like to kind of stir things up with Trump and then just kind of let it bubble at the surface and then just kind of leave it there and let it sink. So at this point, it's like, Arrest them, charge him, whatever, do what it is that you're planning to do. But every time that you stir something up and don't, go all the way in on it, it kind of adds to his perpetual victim narrative that allows him to slide right into their role and use it to his advantage. So I do believe that they should have arrested him years ago if they were going to. Or at this point, it's pretty critical that they do it now or it will seem like they're picking on him, even though some of these things are real, like he he has committed fraud with his university and all of these other things that we've seen Trump be faced with. A lot of it is real things. But if we just kind of continue to use it as a political tool instead of actually using it to um, find some sort of justice in the situation, then, yeah, it's only going to help him and seem like, see, they're picking on me like always.
0: Would we, we be want- here if he weren't a candidate, Imani?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Probably not. Probably not. I feel like maybe for like, um, you were saying a different case, like you would think that maybe they would have still be pursuing some of the more serious cases, but do I think the stormy Daniels would be coming back up if you weren't running for office? I'm not entirely sure. And they already prosecuted his friend. Um, can't think of the man's name, but the one who Michael worked, Cohen. Michael campaign. Cohen. thank you, Michael yeah. Cohen, he already went to jail, served his time behind this same situation years ago. So it's like y'all should have done this then why are we bringing it back up now? Interesting timing.
0: What do you what do you think, Jeff? Is this I mean, if if he weren't a candidate declared for 2024, would we have been having this conversation Would any of this be happening?
1: No, no, it wouldn't. I'm with the money on this. I, I, I'll even go further. There is absolutely no way this would be coming up if you were not running for 2024, which everybody knows, even the people who hate him know this, which means that this is very much politically motivated, which, again, works in Trump's favor. Again, love him or hate him. You have to admit that this whole thing is motivated by a desire to keep him out of office after 2024. That that's all this is. I mean, and it's a very it's a very flimsy case. I would have thought that they would have had something better to go after him with. But if they indict him, this isn't going to go where they wanted to go. He is not going to go to prison. He's not going to go to jail. I mean, we we've had Hillary Clinton who committed a similar alleged offense. She got slapped with a fine. At most, that's what he's going to get. But the DA's office is trying to upgrade this to a felony using some weird legal wrangling. Even even left wing media outlets are questioning this. So I I really I don't understand the strategy here. But one thing is for sure: this is one hundred percent motivated by politics.
0: So that's uh, that's my last question: is everybody believes that right? Like if you ask three hundred and thirty million Americans, any of whom watch the news. 330 million of them will say, yeah, this is clearly political. This is clearly because he's a candidate. Okay, so that's a problem, right? If we believe that the people that are elected to represent the law and fairly prosecute cases and not pick and choose on the basis of politics, but are supposed to be even handed in their distribution of justice for everybody to believe that about a New York district attorney, that's bad for us as a country. Right,
2: Amani? Yeah, this is where they kind of shot themselves in the foot because over the past ooh, almost a decade we've been dealing with Trump, y'all, since about 2015, since we've been dealing with him in the political space, we found out a million terrible things about this man. Some of them are just morally gray or iffy or bad. Other things are quite literally illegal. So we've had a very long time to prosecute him on something. We've had a very long time to press charges, have those charges stick and pursue it to the highest highest extent of the law. And we've kind of just not done that. And I don't really know why that is. It's a lot of kind of unseriousness going on around the issues. Like you want to stir up. um, You want to stir up some sort of conversation about it. You want to get people's attention on what he does. But at the same time, if you don't follow through, then it makes people not take it as serious and it becomes more of a theatrical thing than somebody who's actually trying to pursue justice. So, it, it just does no good to keep bringing these things up if we're not going to see it all the way through. If you're still going to let him run for office, if you're still going to let him potentially become president again, what's really the point if we're not going to give him any real consequences of anything? It just kind of seems silly. And there's really no reason that we're not giving him real consequences, which kind of leans into everybody's opinion of why this is all happening. So even if that's not the true reason why, even if the powers that be don't want this to be a political thing, I would suggest that they do what they say they're going to do or else they're going to hurt their own cause continually again and again and again.
0: Yeah. One almost wonders if, uh, you know, he's not enticing them to issue an indictment almost at this point because of, I mean, that plays exactly into the narrative, right, that he's got of being the victim of the deep state out to get him and certainly his supporters perceive impeachment one, impeachment two, the dossier and on and on. It's like anything and everything they'll use to go to get him. And as you said, none successfully so far. But, Jeff, how concerned should we be about that kind of faith in the fabric sort of issue here that it's not just that we assess based on the evidence that it seems like it's political. But we just all kind of assume that that's bad for us as a legal system,
1: right? It shows that we are in a very bad place, Andrew. I think that I mean, this is the bigger issue. This is bigger than Trump. I come from more of a liberty perspective. So anybody who values liberty should be outraged by this, regardless of who the target is. And this is kind of where I get on conservatives, because if Trump had a D next to his name, they'd be wanting him locked up. They'd be like, oh, yeah, this whole Stormy Daniels thing's horrible. They should lock him up. On the other hand, if Trump had a D next to his name, Democrats would be defending him. We're not standing on principles anymore. We're standing on Team Red and Team Blue. We have a team sports mentality. We look at this as, 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 as a football game. And what, what, what's really happening here, here's what's happening. They are using the state. They are using the power of the government to target political opposition purely for political motivations. That should be a problem for everybody. But it's not because of who the target is. If this happened to Biden and I saw that it was unfair, I'd be defending him too, because that, that that's what we should be doing as Americans who value liberty. The state should not be used as a weapon against political opponents. And yet that's what we have here. And both both Republicans and Democrats have done it and continue to do it. And they're going to keep doing it until we, the people actually start standing on principle rather than politics.
0: You know, one of the things that um, in the last day that uh, I've observed that it, almost concerns me as much as this issue of our loss of faith in the system and maybe the system that's lost our faith right both both sides of that particular issue is president trump creates this firestorm around the pending indictment he gets everybody worked up they start to he calls for protests okay they go to protest and again we're speculating on a lot of this but it seems like as a result of the protest the grand jury pauses its activities because They can't do their job safely. That's bad, too. Like a potential indictee should not be able to thwart the operations of a grand jury process by coercive crowd manipulation. Something that I think we've certainly seen on, you know, a couple years ago, we saw something like this before. How much does that slice of this concern you, Jeff?
1: You know, you know, when Trump called for protests, I mean, I have no problem with protesting. Of course. Um, Right. I I, I think it would have been better if somebody else had said it, (laughs) maybe somebody in his orbit, (laughs) because, again, I, 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 I. there's a lot of conservatives saying don't protest because it's going to be used to create a January 6th type of situation. But I I think that most people would be able to pro- protest peacefully. And if they feel like there's an injustice, then they should get out on the streets and protest. I have no problem with them doing it. I have no problem with black lives matter protesting. I have no problem with anybody protesting. This is part of the process. And I would actually like to see conservatives engage in that more. But um, I, you know, when Trump says it, you know, it kind of opens up a can of worms, right? Because if something does pop off, then he'll, he'll, they'll blame him for it and it, it, it'll just devolve into to a mess that will distract from the from what I just brought up before. This is a case where the state is being used or the government is being used to target political opposition. That's what we all should be focusing on. And I think it, it's sad because it's not going to happen. We're not going to have a situation where we're going to protest this stuff regardless of who it happens to. We're going to protest based on whether we like the guy or not.
0: And as you pointed out, if there's an underlying injustice that we should all be angry about, then protesting, I mean, that is the remedy. I mean, that's the constitutional remedy is, you know, uh, petition a government for redress of grievances, assemble, speak, right? That's what we're supposed to do when we see the government doing something wrong. Of course, in this case, it's more... Trump supporters doing it as opposed to, you know, liberty believers, principle pack, getting together and doing it. Um, Amani, how much does that, you know, you, you look at this and do you see a January 6th sort of preface kind of environment here or does it not strike you as that? What do you think about that shutting down of the grand jury seemingly based on what the crowd is doing?
2: I would hope that everybody learned their lesson from January 6th and doesn't want to create a situation like that again. And I have seen that a lot on the right where people are kind of giving warnings like do not protest this. Do not go out there and create another spectacle again. So, yeah, it's their right. But at the same time, I think the legality of this whole situation is what needs to be at the first it needs to be at the forefront of the issue Um, and it shouldn't get so swept up in the political nature of the whole argument, because I agree with y'all at and I agree and disagree at the same time. At the end of the day, if he's guilty, he's guilty. So that's what it should be about. But at the same time, the issue could be raised for the wrong reasons, but we'll never really know unless they focus more on the legality of the issue and the issue alone and try to prosecute based on whether it's against the law or not. And I feel like that's where a lot of the things get lost whenever we're prosecuting or attempting to prosecute Trump at all. Like it turns into such a spectacle all the time and people don't even know what the law is what part of the law did he break like what is the real meat of the case let's talk about that let's amplify that and let's let's try the case let's see give him a fair trial like let's prosecute and see what the outcome will really be we never make it to that point because it gets caught up in the fluster of everything else and that's probably the most frustrating thing to me about trump and all of this stuff because it's like if he guilty Put him away. If he ain't, leave it alone. Like, let's get to the whole point, because I'm personally tired of just getting caught up in hearing something else about him and then nothing happening over and over again. I think it's exhausting for people who want to see just to serve. I think it's exhausting for the voters and really everybody involved. So my whole point opinion on it is like, let's get to the point or let's not but it needs to be decided now rather than later.
0: Then then again, you might make the case that Americans do seem to like this. Uh, Look at how often it's being talked about and focused on and the ratings. And, you know, we hate, we hate it, but we love to hate it. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of sort of the flip side of a question I asked a minute ago. uh, Do you think, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to see politics used as the reason, right. That the prosecutor's Mm -hmm. office is being done in a certain way, but is there any, any support for the other side? Like, okay, we've got a case, it's a relatively minor case on a fairly obscure slice of the law, uh, whatever you know, the truth of it is, okay, should you as a prosecutor say, yeah, but he's a presidential candidate? And oh, by the way, he's going to use this to fundraise, and it's actually in all these political dimensions. Would you ever say that it's appropriate for the DA to just pass on the case precisely because of the politics, Amani?
2: I'm going to say no, because I don't want us to set the standard in the country where just because you're a political figure, you can get away with breaking the law, because at the same time, just like you were saying, Jeff, whether it's a Democrat, Republican, whoever, if we have people who are supposed to be, you know, there are electeds, they are our leaders and they all just a bunch of criminals running around. I don't think that's good for the fabric of America. And I don't think that sets the right tone because it just puts a light on classism and elitism and how just because these people have power, they can get away with things that people like you and I cannot. And with this particular case with um, Trump, Michael Cohen went to jail for this already. So y'all already decided that it was wrong, that it was illegal, that somebody was going to be indicted, convicted, and serve their time on this very issue. So the timing of it all is probably what's the most annoying to me. But at the same time, they already decided that this was enough of an issue to prosecute. So why they delayed it, we'll never know. But
0: well, we have some theories. <laughs> we have some, <laughs> we some uh, theories, Jeff. It was from
1: the tinfoil hats.
0: Is it ever appropriate <laughs> to pass on a prosecution specifically because there's a political dimension to it so robust as, as a case like this?
1: Yeah, my my short answer is no. Uh, No, you you don't pass on a case just because somebody's running for office. Um, I I do think that, you know, whatever the the case is, it should fit the actual crime or breaking of rules. If Trump violated somebody's rights, I mean, I I believe that, yeah, that that should be prosecuted. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs of Michael Cohen's case. I think there was a little bit more to it. But in in Trump's case, I mean, anybody looking at this, and again, even left-wing people uh, agree with this, it's a campaign finance violation. You get slapped with a fine on it. I think really where they're going wrong is when they did went through all these mental gymnastics to upgrade it to a felony. So that means that they want to throw them in a cage for this. You don't normally throw people in a cage for uh, for a, a, a campaign finance violation. So that part I don't agree with but if there's evidence that he maybe broke some rules then yeah i don't care if he's running for office go ahead and try the case if the evidence is there it's there and if it's not then it's not but it can't be the the case to where you're trying to make the crime worse than what it actually was because you want to see him behind bars that's where that's where i take issue if he broke a rule then slap him with a fine let's move on with our day then the media can use it against him fine that that's all part of the process but i think the way this was handled is really what's causing a lot of this controversy. And there is a silver lining because it is exposing how our government is corrupt. It's not just people like brag. I mean, this can happen at any place in the country with anybody running for office. And even more importantly, it happens to regular everyday people every single day. That's what we should be talking about, too. I mean, right. Trump's going to be fine. But regular people wouldn't be able to stand up to this type of thing. And this is what we need to address. I really hope that this can lead to that type of conversation. I'm not optimistic about it, but it should.
0: Yeah. I mean, the ordinary person who gets uh, wrongly treated by the government in whatever capacity doesn't have an entire social media network, a political dynasty empire ish, you know, operating in order to come to his defense. And that's a problem. And uh, just a last thing before we take a quick break, but I'm imagining both of you generally agree that this is probably good for Trump. That It's not going to derail him and that it is going to let him fundraise and build sympathy. And it puts his opponents politically in an awkward position because, you know, they're being called on to run to his defense, even though he's attacking them savagely. So uh, Chris Rock may have been the rightest of all on this. When we come back on the debate, we'll switch gears and talk about the bank backstopping that President Biden has offered and what level of insurance protection should the FDIC offer to banks here on the debate. Welcome back to the debate joined today by Amani Wells and Yoha and Jeff Charles. So we saw a couple of fairly high profile bank failures become bank runs. Okay, whatever you might think of the underlying strength of these banks. The real issue is people lost confidence and they ran the banks. And that's a problem because you only have so much money on hand. That's what fractional reserve lending is all about. Um, But the Biden administration steps in and says, the normal rules of protecting you up to two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars per name on the account. By the way, I didn't realize that. I thought it was per account, but if you have a dual account, it's five hundred thousand and so forth. Which I thought that was interesting. But uh, we're going to back. We're just going to protect all the deposits. All the deposits are going to be protected. It's a lot of money. Several hundred million dollars more than the FDIC has on hand. Somewhere around one hundred and twenty-eight, they have actually on hand. Uh, let's start with you, Amani. Was it first of all? Do you think he has the authority to do this without going to Congress? Some congressmen have said, whoa, 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 we have the power of the purse, and you're suddenly spending money, basically, in this way. Do you think he has the authority to do it? Do you think this was the right thing to do?
2: This is such an interesting situation because the fact that the bank has the ability to just play with your money till it's gone, blows my mind anyway. Like, I just can't imagine I have so much money in my bank account. And then I wake up one morning and it's gone. And the bank is like, whoopsie daisy, you know, we spent it, we gambled it, we did whatever. That is insane in itself. And that's a whole separate issue that I would love to talk about. But as far as what Biden can do, I see the vision. Like, I understand why you would want to do that. But at the same time, this is a monopoly. Uh, this is a real, this is real money. This is a real... System. And that is where the situation gets iffy for me.
0: Uh, Jeff, do you think he has the authority to say all deposits at any level for this bank, for another bank, for maybe a third bank? We'll see.
2: No, no.
1: And I, I think that he, he does have to go to Congress because, as you said, they, they do have the purse strings. But this also, again, it brings up another larger issue. Uh, should the government be subsidizing these banks? There is a lot of issues that go with all these regulations, not allowing the free market to work. And at the end of the day, it's the consumers that end up and end up paying for it.
0: You know, the the question I have, too, is uh, and I think when I was younger, I think the limit was 100 and then they raised it to 250. Does it make sense to have the government there as the safety net on deposits? I know for me, that makes me feel safe. I trust my government to some degree. I may be weird for saying it, but I trust that they're going to take care of this, you know. Uh, And, you know, they say we protect you to $250,000. There's about $18 trillion on deposit. They obviously can't protect all of it. Uh, but, you know, we still believe they can protect our slice if a bank goes south. Um, should it be higher? Is that I mean, I, I I'm so torn on this question of whether it's appropriate to, to protect all of the assets, frankly. Uh, but, Jeff, do you think it should be higher? Is that the right amount? What do you think?
1: Well, I definitely think it shouldn't be higher, and I question whether they should be doing it at all, even though I understand that that makes us feel safer. I mean, that's what the government does, right? It makes us feel safer. But at the end of the all day. warm and cuddly, if- right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's using the government is always the easy way out, but it doesn't always have the best results. Um, a friend of mine, Andrew Moran, one of my colleagues at Liberty Nation, he always says, you know, the Fed subsidizes incompetence through bailouts. And the thing is, with SVB, what was the issue? They didn't manage their risk correctly. They, they they didn't manage their funding correctly. And a lot of banks have done that. But why should they when they know that the government is just going to be bailing them out anyway if something happens? It it, it 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 creates an incentive to be incompetent, to be reckless. And if the government wasn't there as that safety net, then banks would be forced to be more competitive. To to offer more to their customers, to not take unnecessarily unnecessary risks with their money because they know that they're not going to get bailed out, and if, at the end of the day, if they're found to have mismanaged funds, then the consumers should be able to file lawsuits against them and win those lawsuits and recoup and and be made whole. But with the government saying, "Oh, no, it's okay. Well, we'll make sure that what that we we cover everything." Well, now banks have no incentive to provide the best product possible. Well, can I I'll
0: push back for just a second? Because it strikes me that, you know, what we want to thwart is bank runs, right? Bank runs are the enemy of a banking system where people lose confidence that their money will be there when they need it. And they try to get it right now. We all try to get it right now. And it's a wonderful life, right? OK, that's the thing we're trying to prevent. I know for me, I read a story like this and I think, you know, oh, my deposits are not particularly at risk. If they were at risk, I know the FDIC insures them up to this amount. I, I'm, I'm I'm good. But if all of a sudden that weren't there, I would start to think, well, you know, I don't know if I need my money to be in a bank right now, because that's a very reasonable thing to think if there's no insurance level. And, you know, I, I mean, are you persuaded by that, that some level of and it's, a, it's what it's a, it's fee sponsored, right? It's not just the federal government through budgeting. It's, you know, the banks pay into this fund, this FDIC fund. So does sure. that change the way you think about having some kind of protection, Jeff?
1: I mean, if, if the banks are paying into it, then that might that might make a little bit more sense because it's almost like an insurance for them, right? Exactly. for different types of things. So that I, I don't think I would have much of an issue with that. But I, I think the the bottom line is that you know when if we do raise this limit, how, what effect is that going to have on the consumer? I mean, the base deposit amount in the U.S. is about eighteen trillion dollars. Uh, the uh, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the deposit insurance fund is about 130 billion. So what's the Fed going to have to do to make up for that gap? It's going to have to print more monopoly money, right? That's going to increase inflation, which is going to hit who? It's going to hit you and I. It ain't going to hit the, the elites. It's going to hit us. We're already dealing with inflation. Eggs are, are crazy at the, at the store. You have to take out like a second mortgage on your home just to get some steak nowadays. That's going to get worse if they raise this when we when really the 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 government does not have the money to to cover this. So I still go back to more of a free market solution. Again, if banks are paying into an, an insurance fund for themselves, that, that I think that's probably fine. But the government's involvement leads to a lot of this chaos and bank runs that we're seeing because these banks do not have to manage their operations efficiently
0: yeah i think um you know in regards to eggs and steak i think the idea now is like you order three eggs with a side of steak right that's the way it comes on the plate <laughs> these days um yeah. <laughs> Imani, do you do you find value in the idea of there being some kind of protection so that people aren't as skittish when anything starts to go wrong that they want to re- withdraw their money at that moment
2: Yes, having some sort of protection is really important. But at the same time, um, the the banks themselves need to be regulated better, <laughs> like figuring out who sits on the boards of some of these places that regulate the banks. And then you're like, surprise, it's the bank executives that sit on the board that regulate themselves. It kind of just gives them the ability to just do whatever they want with people's money. So I think that, yes, increasing the limit is a In my opinion, it's kind of just like the quick and dirty solution to the problem. Like it doesn't really correct the problem because like Jeff was saying, if they feel like there's no real consequences to their actions then they're going to keep gambling away people's money. So I think the way that banks are even allowed to handle the funds needs to be revisited because there should never be a situation like this where people who worked very hard for their money to build their businesses, who trusted this entity to house their money, and then they got to wake up one day in a panic and try to get it all out or what's left of it Because they took a risky investment that should not be allowed. That should be against the law. okay? And that's where the government should have a bigger hand in it, because that's ultimately the problem here. And if we don't put some more constraints on the the power that the banks have, then this could be a situation that continues to happen. And we don't want to see a world like that.
0: Oh, let me promise you, this is a situation that will continue to happen <laughs> sure. because I mean, we yeah. we go through this, right? We have periods of constriction where people get scared and banks fail and new regulations are proposed. And then we come back and we surge and then everything's fine. And then people get loosey goosey with their behavior again. And then banks fail. And then, you know, we see this. OK, this is just kind of sadly you know, kind of how this is Uh, one thing I think, and I am not, by the way, like the banking expert at all. But um, my understanding is at least part of this issue is that they failed to account for the impact on their investment and the returns they would get on their, what they've invested in the banks because of the interest rate hikes. Like they didn't account for how that would impact on their statements. And all of a sudden they wake up and they're like, Oh, we just didn't do this math. Right. Did we, (laughs) which is very discouraging to think about banks doing that. So I don't know. I you know I I guess um, you know when I when I look at this, it it does actually look a lot like insurance. You know, Jeff, you were talking about you know bad behavior. Um, look, I'm a good driver. I'm a safe driver. You know, I've had a few events, but it was long in the past when I was young and stupid. And now I'm a good driver, but I still pay in order to protect other people against my momentary craziness. And other people pay because with a car you can do a lot of damage. Well, with a bank you can do a lot of damage. You make a few bad decisions and. You know, some kind of mandatory insurance, I guess it makes sense to me, but you're saying you really prefer to see a a more full-fledged free market where, you know, investor depositor beware?
1: Yeah, but I, I would say that I mean, if banks are paying into uh, an insurance fund, so to speak, mm-hmm. especially a free market one, I would have no problem with that because that's how they protect their customers. They're they're acting proactively to protect protect their customers on their own without the government having to be involved with it. Again, like you just mentioned, that they didn't that they miscalculated the idea that or the fact that interest rates were going to go up. Well, I mean. Why wouldn't they do that if the if the government's going to cover them no matter what reckless decisions they make? And I know that it's not always reckless decisions. I know sometimes people make honest mistakes, but at the same time, I'm seeing that when the government incentivizes this stuff, it just leads to more of that cycle that you mentioned, Andrew. Well,
0: and. You study harder when you know that there's no test forgiveness for a bad score this one time, right? Sure. I mean, you you pay attention better on the front end when you know there's no makeups later on. Uh, Amani, kind of last thoughts on this subject. Uh, do, do you think it's appropriate to have this kind of insurance, even though that does make it a little bit less painful when banks do bad and foolish or don't do the math right kind of problems?
2: I do think that we need the insurance for this reason alone. It would make sense for the banks to be concerned about keeping their customer base satisfied. But we have seen some people who are capitalistic to their own detriment, where they just get so hungry for the money that they are here for something quick. So I can't have faith that every bank is going to do the right thing in situations like this. There might be some people who have a bank and their goal is just to get as much money as possible. If it crash, it crashed. I made my money. So that is the type of situation that I'm more so worried about. Of course, there are some people or some organizations who are going to do the right thing because they want to see longevity in their brand. Like they're not here to have a bank for 10 years. They want to be here for several decades or hundreds of years. Um, But then we cannot underestimate the people who have ill intent and that's where we need to be able to regulate and provide some sort of level of comfort for situations like that.
0: And I don't know about y'all, but I look at a world that is full of people. I don't understand who take advantage of things all the time <laughs> and I just can't make sense of it. And I want to, we have to protect against that. I will also say mm-hmm. this, if, if there were no FDIC in operation, um, I'd be the guy buying the gold double Eagles and burying them in the drywall, you know, like that's, yeah. that would be my Hanging approach. So, mattress. Yeah, that, that, exactly. Right. Well, not there. Don't tell people, uh, no, but I, you know, I value this and um, I, I do think there's an exceeding of authority here, obviously because of the scope of the issue. Um, but uh, some kind of insurance program to make sure that investors are or depositors, you know, are kind of kept safe from their own impulses to uh, do a bank run. That, that, that makes a lot of sense to me, frankly. We're going to uh, take a real quick time out when we come back. A plan slash proposal. It's not been a plan just yet, but San Francisco is looking at the idea of a huge reparations payout. We'll talk about it next on The Debate. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. Welcome back to the debate and reparations. A very complicated topic, obviously. Uh, Lots of big dollar figures involved, depending on which plan you decide to go with. And right now, the city of San Francisco, a place where slavery was never legal, but okay, um, (laughs) is considering a plan that one of many, like about a hundred different proposals that came before it, because they created a commission to go look and come up with ideas for uh, improving racial justice or. you know, broadly in that category, and one of the one of the components came back with a five million dollar payment to eligible black residents that uh, would you clear off all their personal debt. In addition, they'd get to buy any home within the city limits for a buck, and or a home within the city limits for a buck, and ninety seven thousand dollars a year of annual income for a while. Okay. They have not voted on this. They haven't adopted this. There's no implementation yet. But the city council did at least vote to agree to receive the draft proposal. So start wherever you want on the subject. Amani, reparations in San Francisco for black residents who have been there for, I think it's 13 years in order to qualify or a variety of and a variety of other factors. But okay, uh, what do you think of the general uh, strokes for this plan?
2: I couldn't believe this story was real. Um, So I had to go back and do my research. I read it a few times. I was like, okay, I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, The heart is there. OK, because we are, were owed our 40 acres and a mule a long, long time ago, and we never got that. And there has never been a proper atonement. Like when you look at what happens with like the Native American community, they get to go to college for free for the rest of their life. Like there are certain things that they get because of what happened um, when, you know, this country was forcibly seized from them. Um, so they have things that have kind of helped them along the way for the past several um, centuries or decades, I guess, at this point. Um, so this is an issue that does need addressing. Is this the best way to go about the issue? I'm not sure. Um, I feel like because it's such a drastic measure, it can kind of turn people off who already weren't keen on giving people reparations anyway. And I'm down for reparations. Like, I can trace my family lineage back to Texas all the way back to the 1800s, it is crazy. Like we have a whole history. So my family has literally been here since the slave quarters. So do people deserve reparations? Absolutely. Um, but this particular draft seems kind of shocking to a lot of people, and I think it's it's not going to help the issue. Um, along, It may be helpful to bring the issue of reparations to light. And maybe that was its intended goal. Um, and I hope that that was the intended goal. But I fear that people are going to see this and give it all type of crazy pushback and then kind of turn their whole back on the idea of reparations because of this particular proposal. And I don't want that to be the case.
0: Yeah, this is kind of like the uh, the crazy caricature of a genuine reparations proposal, right? As you said, everybody reads this story and thinks, what, come on, is this a reputable news site, right? And then you're like, oh, no, those are really the numbers. So does that, Jeff, does it tend to turn everybody off to taking it seriously? Or is it like the kid, you know, who says, uh, give me a bicycle, ah, no, but how about a skateboard? Okay, I'll take a skateboard, you know, that seems pretty reasonable. Does it just establish a new boundary for reasonability and make people think, well, you know, a million dollars a piece, no, but I don't know, 50,000 seems like a bargain in comparison.
1: Well, well, first off, I just want to want to point out him. I was born and raised in Southern California. I moved to Texas about 10 years ago, but I've had a change of heart. I think I want to go back to my home state and I hear San Francisco is <laughs> looking pretty nice for for somebody who looks like You have like to me. have been so, there for 13 years. I <laughs> You have to be
0: identifying as black for 13 years. Yeah, they, they of all of the things of this proposal that seem outrageous, they did actually anticipate that apparently. Yeah, they did the vast in migration to San Francisco in order to capitalize on the on the deal. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, to answer both of your questions, I think the answer is yes to both of your questions. I think that, um, this is probably a starting point as far as bargaining goes. I, I don't believe for a second that they're going to give every black resident $5 million. Um, it's, it's not going to happen, but maybe it is a starting point. But I don't think that it was the best way to go about it because it is going to turn a lot of people off. Um, personally, I am not opposed to reparations. I believe that governments Owe a debt, and I use the plural on purpose, and I wanted to kind of clear up a misconception, uh, especially, um, I mean, among like right-leaning circles, that people have about reparations. It's not just about slavery; it's also about Jim Crow. It's also about other policies like redlining, what they did with the GI Bill, that were specifically designed to place Black Americans behind white Americans. So, in a city like San Francisco, where they didn't do slavery, they they still did other. um, discriminatory policies. The state of California is considering reparations for its role. Even though California was not a slave state, there there was a lot of shady stuff that the state did to to black people. So that's what they want to give reparations for. And the reparations didn't just involve the federal government. That's another misconception. It was state governments. It was local governments. Uh, There was a city in in, in Illinois that implemented a, a, a reparations package for its black residents because of its history of discrimination. But um, like I was saying, I I don't believe for a second that this is going to happen. It would cost San Francisco about one hundred billion dollars, which it doesn't have. The city's total GDP in 2021 uh, was about six hundred and sixty nine billion dollars. So we're talking 15 percent of their entire GDP. That's not going to happen. My other thing is that I kind of agree with the NAACP. I'm not convinced that just handing out cash payments is going to be a good long-term solution. I think it's a band-aid. It's a decent band-aid, but it it, it I, I agree more with investments in education, uh, economic uh, tax breaks, and you know o- other things like that that would that that could be implemented in a way that doesn't necessarily raise taxes on everybody else who didn't participate in that system. So there are ways to do it. I think the issue is just how do we get that done.
0: Yeah, by the way, great point about it not just being a matter of slavery or ancestry to slavery, but all of the varieties of institutional racism or systemic racism that have affected black people you know, over the centuries. Um, I, I also, um, frankly, you know, I, I have usually been fairly critical or negative towards the possibility of reparations. But I agree with the theory that if you target and disadvantage a group of people, just because time goes by doesn't mean that you're safe. And especially if it's a government, you know, right? Then is and like if you, I, th- I know for, you know, my conservative friends and myself, a, a lot of times will say things like, well, how do you know, like, you know, that you, particularly Amani or that you, particularly Jeff, should get a share of this money? Uh, maybe you weren't disadvantaged or maybe your family didn't suffer it the same way. But if the policies and the institutions were there affecting people on the basis of their race, you can see how the category that was affected would seem to be the category that deserves some kind of compensation. Is that the way you look at it, Imani? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And just like Jeff was saying, these are systems that were purposely put into place to keep black people down like the Jim Crow era. And it's so crazy. I'm blessed to have um, the elders in my family still around to tell me these stories. My mom went to a segregated school My um, grandmother lived on a sharecropper land. Like this, this stuff is very real and it's very recent <laughs> and people don't really want to address just how recent it is. We're always talking about that was 400 years ago. Like, no, my mother went to a segregated school. Not my great-grandmother, not my great 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 aunt My mom, my mom, you know, so this stuff is very recent and just the Jim Crow era alone deserves millions and millions in reparations or just some type of atonement for the structure that was set up because people's access to housing, proper education, um, access to a lot of things that White families who were just middle class folks were able to thrive in ways that the black families were not. And we see the ramifications of that for decades and decades and decades to come. And a lot of this stuff is inherent. Generational trauma is a very real thing. And walking around in these spaces in this skin, it's a real experience every single day. And it can never be undone. Um, it would take years to undo those systems. And I definitely think that we should start doing things to facilitate that process instead of just talking about it but we should definitely try to do some sort of corrective action um in any way that we can but yeah it's definitely something that needs to be addressed sooner rather than later
0: it seems to me like if you take the idea of reparations seriously and you start to ask Mm -hmm. okay uh, what kind of financial compensation? And of course, this is ignoring your point, Jeff, about, well, are we really fixing the schools? You know, are we really fixing the problems that, uh, these ongoing problems that harm members of the black community as a result of whether it's Jim Crow or neglect or design, whatever the case may be? You know, can a payment solve any of that? And the answer is, well, no, obviously it doesn't solve that. But if you start to take this seriously, that uh, black people as a group are entitled to some kind of payment it always strikes me that you're caught on a dilemma. On the one hand, anything that you would be, that you would come up with as a number that would seem fair is going to be outlandishly high. Like this proposal, I mean, is outlandishly high and there's no feasible way to fund that. On the other hand, anything that you could even close to realistically afford is paltry, <laughs> you know, is an insult, you know, a um, million dollars and then a house for a buck and then $97,000 a year. Sounds ridiculous. Well, what's feasible? Well, you know, here's 10 grand and you know, you can buy a house at $5,000 off and we'll give you $4,000. I mean, it's, it's insultingly low. So is there in your mind, a realistic financial target that would work even if we had a reparations plan, Jeff?
1: You know, I, I don't think that there's a solution that's going to please everybody. But, I mean, that's just the nature of the, of the of business. And Amani, you brought up a great point about the access to housing, access to quality education, all of those things. I think, you know, especially among right-leaning circles, when I talk to conservatives, not libertarian so much, because you, you tell a libertarian that you want the government to pay for something that it did wrong. They're gonna be like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. But with, with conservatives, I think sometimes they get the assumption that when the Civil Rights Act passed, everything was just fine after that. No, those those systems still persisted, and even the ones that didn't still had a long-term effect that even reverberates to today. So I don't know if there is a number that's going to satisfy everybody, but can something be done? Yes, I think that there is something that the government can do. The federal government sits on tons of assets that it owns that it probably even shouldn't based on the Constitution. I don't even think that it would necessarily have to raise taxes to offer some type of reparations to descendants of slaves. I mean, I heard all the same stories that you did, Amani, with my grandparents. And I mean, I can trace my lineage back uh, you know, to Louisiana, Mississippi, all, all of that stuff. And again, this is a debt that the government owes, that these governments owe, because they did implement policies that were designed for this purpose. There is no number that's going to completely close that gap. But there is something that can be done. And this is kind of where my cynical side comes into play. Like what, what Amani said, it's time to stop talking about it and do it. But I, I don't think anybody wants to do it. I don't think Democrats want to do it. I don't think Republicans want to do it. I think Democrats use this to dangle this in front of black people. Hey, give us your votes. We'll do reparations. We'll we'll keep talking about it as much as you want. But they're not going to do it. I mean, they 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 they, they don't want to. They're not going to fix the education system. I mean, the government-run schools are atrocious, especially for Black children. So I, I, I hate to be the, the the Debbie Downer here, but I'm hopefully I'm wrong about all this.
0: <laughs> Amani, do you think there's a realistic hope that there could be? And obviously, you can't do this just in San Francisco. I mean, if we're going to do reparations, if we're going to do it, it would have to be a national program, right? And at that point, do you think it's Even conceivable that a number could come out where we'd be able to afford it somehow and that this would sort of satisfy the people who are calling for it somehow or do justice somehow, if you prefer to say it that way.
2: I think the blueprint is there. So we've done it ish for the Native Americans. So they get to go to college for free. Black people should be able to go to college for free. Like, we don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel. Like, there's been ways that we've kind of done this before, and there are pieces of it that are successful. I know a lot of, there was a Native American girl in my journalism program. She had her little card she showed me. She said, this card here, I don't pay for this. I had to go apply, prove that I had the proper ancestry, and I got to come to this school. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Um, Education and housing are two of the main issues that I can think of that would be easy, that don't require you to write a blanket. Check, but there could be um lower rates on loans, on home loans for African Americans who can prove that they're, you know, descendants of slaves. There's a million ways that we can go about it um, on the federal level that really just take the proper planning uh initiative and yeah. the desire to do it, like Jeff was saying. Like it ain't rocket science. We've done things like this before. It's not as difficult as an issue as they would like us to believe that it is. And I think we purposely are just hands on our hips, you know, making weird faces just kind of like oh gosh what do we do because they just don't want to do it but it's real simple y'all super easy
0: fascinating conversation obviously a very complicated topic and uh you know we've barely scratched the surface on it but i wanted to kind of get your general thoughts on it and i appreciate the input uh that'll do it for this edition of the debate uh, amani wells and yoha jeff charles as always really good conversation i super appreciate you guys we'll see you next time on the debate from newsweek